with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, June 10th, 2014. This is episode 1364 of the Survival Podcast. And it's not Monday, 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 but on Monday, 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 we tore apart the educational system of the United States of America, and I propose to you that the best solution to correcting our educational problems is not rehabbing the school system, but obsoleting it. I have a little more on that today. Not too much, though, because today is Tuesday. But since we didn't do a listener feedback show on Monday, we're going to do one today. These are where I respond to your emails about news stories, questions, whatever. You send an email to me. You send that email to jack at com. One more time on the email. It's jack at com. The or the. They spell the same way. You pronounce them differently, I guess, on where you're from and what your preference is. But the the or the the in survivalpodcast.com is very important. You have to have the the or the the. In the subject line, you put question for Jack, comment for Jack, subject for Jack, video for Jack, audio for Jack, whatever. It's one word followed by for Jack, whatever's most appropriate. And that gets into my screening queue so it gets screened for shows like today. Uh, with that, I only get, oh, two, three hundred of those a day. So, uh, they're not all going to get on the air, but. Send them anyway, because I read them all, believe it or not, and they do shape a lot of the show, even the ones you don't directly hear about. Before I get to those, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you and sponsor of the day. Number one today, BulkAmmo.com. There's a triangle of gun operator effectiveness. There's three things you have to have, and if you don't have them, you don't have an effective gun operator. One is a gun. You can be the most well-trained gun operator in the world. You might even save your life with knowledge about that, like cover, concealment, moving, etc., but you are not a gun operator without a gun. I know that's hard to believe, but you're not. The next thing is you, the operator. You have to have training. I can give you a gun. I can give you great training. And other than maybe pulling some bluffing that can get your head blown off, um, you're not a gun operator without one more thing, ammo. You need ammo to run your gun, to train with your gun, to defend yourself if it comes down to it. And I don't know if you've noticed, but occasionally ammo becomes, well, really scarce. Right now it's freely available, everything except 22 long rifles. I do hope those things come back into uh, regular availability soon. But stock up on everything else while you can and reserve some budget for the uh, 22 ammo when it, when it comes back into regular pricing. It's just an example of every time the uh, gun grabbers want to take things away, prices go up and scare, uh, availability goes down. It happens to guns, but if we, as we've seen, the spike in gun prices and return to normalcy is much faster than the spike of ammo prices and return to normalcy. BulkAmmo.com, your insurance against future ammo increasing prices. Check them out today. They've got a lot of really great stuff. Next up today, uh, we have Sawtooth Tactical, a veteran-owned, veteran-operated company in the wild Sawtooth range of Idaho. They have everything for your uh, for your tactical needs, all the stuff to live that tactical lifestyle, from awesome cool stuff like the Manly Titanium Spork to SOE Tactical Gear, Magpul Magazines, and everything else you can think of. It's tactical. They've got it. And if it's practical, well, they probably have that too. Check them out, SawTac, 
SawTac.com. Please remember, Bulk Ammo and SawTac both do give you discounts if you're a member of my support brigade. Just log into your MSB account, click on Benefits, and you'll see the discounts to those companies and about 40 other companies that do provide discounts. Some are sponsors, some are just supporting vendors of the MSB. If you're not an MSB member, this is one reason to join. Discounts on the things you're probably buying every day, from guns to gardens and everything in between. You support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. You get a return of your investment. It's a good deal for everybody. Check it out today. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members for more information about that. And if you are military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active due to your prior service, or first responder like an EMT, paramedic, or firefighter, you do qualify for a discount to my member support brigade. Just email me before, not after you join, and I will get back to you with uh, the discount code. Do it before you join, though. You got that part. All right, with that, let's get into the year that was the episode. The episode is 1364, so the year is 1364. We've been heavily, heavily, heavily into Europe in the Hundred Years' War, and there's a segment on that today, but I'm not going to read it. I'm going to take you across the great oceans to modern-day Mexico and tell you about another great civilization, the Aztecs. In 1325, the Aztecs moved to an island in the midst of the Saltwater Lake. It's not exactly prime real estate, but in the years that followed, a small village of reed huts has grown into the city of Tintochtitl, Tenochtitlan. I love how later Alex gives me the pronunciation of Chinampa, even though I know how to pronounce that, but not the pronunciation of this city, I can't say. Okay, just pick it on you, Alex. Eventually, they will expand the island artificially, trap fresh water during the rainy season, build causeways between the islands, and funnel fresh water to the city through an intricate canal system. They will also create floating gardens called Chinampas, an early system of aquaponics, The gardens didn't really float. They were suspended on a wattle, a web of wattle made of branches and palm fronds attached to birch pylons sunk into the lake mud. The platform was approximately 180 feet long and 9 feet wide. The mud is then dredged up and thrown upon the top of the platform. Willow trees are planted nearby to stabilize the soil. This creates a microclimate that keeps the gardens at warmer, more stable temperatures during winter months and provides the richest soil possible in the area. My take by Alex Shrugged. Note that while the lake was salty, it was not a lake all year long. During the dry season, the Aztecs were able to block off the salt parts, fill the remaining areas with fresh water during the wet season to support the gardens. By the 15th century, these gardens will support over 150,000 people in the city of Tenochtitlan. Be sure to check out the links below. They provide some good information on building these floating gardens. You can check those out at tspwiki.com. The history segment, year 1364. I want to say a little bit about this. Chinampas are something that we talk a lot about in permaculture. And it's something that everybody wants to build. And there's a lot, you know, everybody that's in permaculture kind of dreams one day of building a chinampa. And there's a lot of ways to do them. There's the way that it was done here, which is building this, this kind of suspended platform of waddle and pushing mud up onto it. And there's ways that are a little bit more conventional that were done in other parts of, of South America and Central America where basically you carve out a system that looks like a canal system and your, your growing areas are just basically raised mud areas. And what you're doing is you're taking this mud from the bottom of this, this swamp or this lake or this river system, which is extremely nutrient-rich. And it's, it, it's also anaerobic, meaning it lacks oxygen. So you put it up there and you have to wait a little bit for it to oxygenate. But it doesn't take long. And 
then when you plant into it, you have amazing results. You don't have to irrigate because it's sitting in the middle of a lake or a canal system. So it's got constant water available to it. As they get more sophisticated, and you see Alex talk about this here, you end up with ways where you can drain or flood them. So let's say we've had a big harvest, now we want to control weeds. So we flood the champa, the water comes up, let's say, six inches above the, the planting area, and we completely flood it. We hold it there for a few weeks. We kill all the weeds. Then we drain it back down to expose the planting area, and we plant into it. Natural weed control. And you harvest it with a boat. So you just kind of cruise around because you got these platforms or islands or ridges or whatever separated by just a little bit. I mean, the, the waterways in between them are narrow. And that way you can go through with a boat and you can just harvest off the sides. And then you put arches across and put vines across. So when you're in your boat, you're shaded and you're also harvesting the vines and you're actually using the space in between the chinampas. And you put ducks in there or some sort of waterfowl. Down there it was actually a duck that we still have around today. That's the only native uh, or the only duck in America that's been domesticated fully. That's native to uh, Central and South America, and that's the Muscovy duck. Muscovy duck, the ones that have ugly-looking heads that kind of look like turkeys or chickens or something. Those guys. So they're actually much different. So they use the Muscovy ducks in these systems, and of course you put fish in these systems. Now, the nice thing is since you can flood and drain them, when you want to harvest fish, you, you drain down very, very low in your system, and you create these little pockets. You just go in with a net and take fish out, and you flood it back in. So these systems got very, very sophisticated, and it's why a lot of people today dream one day, I want to build a Chinampa. And people get creative about how you do it. You build a pond and put some fingers in the pond, right? So a series of fingers along the back of the pond, let's say. And then if you have a sluice box and you're able to raise and lower that pond, effectively you've created a chinampa. And it's interesting and it's cool, but here's the reality. Chinampas were designed to be run at the village to city level. They were not designed for one person. They're actually a very, they, they are very, very efficient, but they're a high-maintenance system. There's a lot going on with a chinampa, and there's a lot of jobs for people to do with chinampas, but their productivity is the most productive system ever devised by man. And yes, it was done without fertilizer, without GMOs, without mechanized equipment, without fossil fuels, without chemical fertilizers. It was the most productive system per square foot ever developed, and it still is. No one has ever made land produce more total output of consumables than a Chinampa. So that's my take, a little bit longer one a day. So let's get into uh, main topics of today's show. First, I want to give you a quick update on something called AgriTrue. Well, what's AgriTrue? Because a lot of you guys weren't around when the idea came in my head. AgriTrue was something that took over two years to build. And it actually took almost three years to build. And it really took about six months to actually get one guy who was good to build it. But we went through two, three other people who, one guy took the money and ran, one guy just didn't do it, another guy just kind of like did a little bit of it and quit. Uh, it was very hard to find a developer to develop AgriTrue, the website, AgriTrue.com, A-G-R-I-T-R-U-E.com, AgriTrue is true agriculture, truth in agriculture. It was an idea I had about three years ago, and we've got some stuff going on with it, but with Permaethos picking up. It kind of got lost on, you know, updating you guys about it. So I want you to know the site's up, it's running, and it works. I put out a post about it today, 
and it's an awesome idea. It's much more universal than Permaethos. Okay, it's designed to be the big tent. So Permaethos is a community that will certainly, all our Permaethos farms will have agriculture certification, no doubt. Okay, just so you understand there's a, a symbiotic relationship there, but they're owned independently with different partners. I'm part of both of them, but everybody else that's part of AgriTrue is not part of Permaethos, and everybody else that's part of Permaethos is not part of AgriTrue. They came up different ways for different purposes. Permaethos is designed so the people that are certified and that we're working directly with, we can build Permaethos farms and market under the Permaethos brand as permaculture community-developed product. Okay, and we have... Element parts, all kinds of great things with Permaethos that I won't go deeper in today. You can learn more at permaethos.com. But it's, you know, we have the farm in, in West Virginia. We're teaching a permaculture design course there. It's all about permaculture. It's done with permaculture ethics. It's very specific to permaculture and permaculture ethics. And it's very much a community, right? AgriTrue is for anybody growing and selling food anywhere or anybody anywhere that wants to buy food. It's the bigger tent, right? And it has a less strict set of requirements, but it does have some very important things to people. It is designed to be a private market alternative to um, to organic, basically, and to be better, and to be better in every way conceivable for human beings on both sides of the aisle. It takes less money and effort for the producer to, to, to comply And the consumer can actually figure out what they're buying versus just, oh, it's organic, so it's good for you. It's, it's not destroying the planet. We're, we're just, uh, well, we're using slave labor and we're using, you know, 200,000 gallons of diesel fuel every month. Because that's how they grow organic carrots in the Baja, by the way. They have, they have Mexican laborers working like slaves and they have constant diesel generators running and diesel pumps running to pump water, pump salt out fresh in. I mean, and, but it's organic and it's good for you and good for the earth, right? It's less toxic food is what organic is. With AgriTrue, we set this up to work this way. That when you look at a producer's page on AgriTrue, you see their farm, you see what they produce, you see how they produce it. If you want to know, well, uh, I see your cows are here, you know, do you move them? Are you rotating them? Whatever. You'd ask them a question, get an answer from them right on the website. If you pick up their food, let's say you, you go to a, a farmer's market and or a, a, a co-op or whatever, and there's a there's a you know some grass-fed beef there. If the, the producer is AgriTrue certified and they put that label on their thing, they can also get what's called a QR code, which is a little square, little square thing. And your smartphone, you pick it up and you scan their QR code and you see the person that grew the cow that made the steak that you're holding in your hand, and you see their farm and how their animals are treated. And you see a full disclosure to how they treat their animals and how they run their farm. It doesn't mean they're permaculture. It means certain things, though. There are certain requirements to be an agritrue producer. No chemical fertilizers, no chemical herbicides. You must maintain good communications with your customers. If they ask a reasonable question, you need to answer them or we will kick you out. Okay? You must have a soil preservation and conservation plan in place. In other words, you have to be taking care of your soil. Now, we don't tell you how to do that, but you have to have something in place that you're caring for your soil. And if you're not using chemical fertilizers, you're going to have to do that anyway, if that makes sense. All, your animals have to be treated humanely, and you cannot be growing GMO on your farm, and you cannot be feeding your livestock GMO. It doesn't have to be organic, but the feed has to be non-laced with herbicide and no chemical fertilizer and herbicide in the feed. Non-GMO. If you do all that, you're agri-true for whatever component is, and it is possible that a person could say, well, you know what, 
I'm feeding my chickens feed that does not qualify. Okay, but I'm 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 doing grass fed beef over here, and then they can sell their beef as long as everything else fits as an agri true beef product. But until you get the chicken up to speed, until you figure out how to solve the non you know the, the GMOs, the big one. To, to, to make sure your chickens are not eating GMO feed, you can't certify that you do chickens under AgriShirt. It is on a honorary system. The producer self-certifies. But we also take reviews of producers, and if we find out a producer's lying, we'll terminate their account. And the whole point being, you may want something very specific, and you may be looking for a producer that does that, and I might be looking for something not quite so strict. I may just say, look, all I want to do is buy cattle that have not been fed GMO. That's it. I just I don't I don't want them eating GMO corn and GMO soy. I just want grass-fed cattle. That's it. Okay, fine. Well, I can find somebody that does that agriculture. Now, here's the thing. What we need now is producers signing up. We've made it very very cheap, almost ridiculously cheap for the first thousand producers to sign up. We need to seed things. And like the first couple hundred is stupid cheap. Like right now, you can sign up as a producer. If you're a produ you have to be producing something to sign up as a producer. Please don't take a spot for a producer if you're not selling anything. But you can sign up as a producer right now for a dollar for the first year. And once those spots fill up, I think we did. I don't remember. I'll have to look at the post here real quick. But once you, uh, here you go. So the first 25 producers, this is just to get the ball rolling, could sign up for a buck. We have a few left. That tells you we don't have that many producers yet, and that's a big problem for us. The next 75 producers, 26 through 100, you could sign up for five bucks for the first year. It goes to 30 bucks a year after that, and of course you can cancel, but your $30 price is locked in forever. It's like a, like a founding membership type of thing. For the next 900 producers, it's 30 bucks to sign up for the first year and $30 renewal, and it's $30 forever. So for the next 100 people, it's five bucks or less for the first year. So go tell the person you're buying from about AgriTrue. Go tell them how it will help other people find it because I'm going to be pr promoting this right alongside Permaethos, the big tent and the community tent. And we'll use AgriTrue to promote Permaethos and we'll use Permaethos to promote AgriTrue. What I want is to renew the ability for people to go out and buy from people they know, to find local food, and to know certain things are not done to it. As soon as you see the AgriTrue label, you know there's no toxic ick in here. It may not be USDA organic, and I actually want to obsolete organic. I, I think it's been corrupted, ruined, and, and practically destroyed by the government. I don't think it means anything anymore, but I think AgriTrue does. I think AgriTrue could mean a lot more if we'll get behind it and work with it. So there's an update on AgriTrue. And for those of you that are small producers that are wanting to do something with Permaethos, don't not do it with AgriTrue. The two work together. Who knows? One day in the future, there may be some sort of merger in order. I don't know. It all depends on how things work out. For now, there are two ships that sail independently but have similar missions. And again, AgriTrue is for everyone. For everyone. Um, let's move on. And uh, with, with that, something has just occurred that doesn't usually happen. Uh, I've been given news of something that's gone on in the country that I'm going to include on the show that just happened. Uh, or just happened very, very recently, say 30 minutes ago. My wife just told me about this. Uh, we have another school shooting, and this one in Oregon. Uh, I looked it up so far, and it looks like there's no deaths reported, only injuries, except the, the guy with the gun is dead, which was a student, apparently. At least it looks that way right now. It's amazing to me that the news would report it as no deaths when the other side of their mouth is saying that the guy with the gun is dead. 
And I know there's a propensity to say, well, good. And in some ways, yes, it is good. It is good that this guy didn't kill anybody and that he ended up dead before he was able to kill anybody. I don't know whether he turned a gun on himself when he knew he was trapped or whether he committed suicide by cop. There's not enough inf in, uh, information now. I, I really am not going to talk about this incident, though, with this. I've been trying to figure out how to put together a piece on this show and for YouTube to really drive the sum of what I'm going to say home today. This won't be it. Um, this is part and parcel to my problem with the public education system. This is not a gun problem. This is not a problem with guns. This is not a problem with the availability of guns. And, and what makes me say that with confidence is I believe that there have been plenty of times in history where children had more access to firearms than they do today. They went to school like they did today. They were probably more proficient with firearms than they are today. They had more knowledge of firearms than they did today. And they weren't killing other students or themselves. Any, and, and we didn't have anything like, anything approaching the number of children we have today doing these things. So this is not a gun problem, okay? It just isn't. And it what The problem isn't even just killing. The problem is violence. Okay, killing is the ultimate manifestation of violence. It really is. It's they're, they're, uh, violence taken to the extreme results in death. All right, violence at any other level results in injury, either mental or physical. You got that? And and, and taken to the extreme results in death. In Even just stress violence eventually can cause somebody to have a coronary heart attack and die. All right? Enough stress and enough violence applied to a person can actually cause them to take their own life, also resulting in death, not a direct murder. Got it? This is the problem. As I mentioned yesterday, rape is far more common in our schools today than we would like to believe. Not just date rape. I mean, rape in schools. It does happen. It seems preposterous to me that there's any time or space available for this to occur, but apparently it does. And it makes you wonder what all these supposedly heroic teachers are doing that these kids have time to rape another student in a school and not be seen doing it. You know? But it's violence. Violence is the issue. And we need to ask ourselves, why are our children in so much pain that there's more violence today? in totality, than any time we can think of in the history of school, in the United States anyway, certainly in the last hundred years. When I was in school, a fight was a big deal. A fight was a big deal. If two guys were going to fight, man, it was all over school. These guys are going to fight. They're going to duke it out. And you went to the playground and you watched them fight after school. I mean, I think there was maybe a dozen Instances of one kid even, you know, mock fighting in the hallways in, in, in the entire time I was in high school. I think a dozen is a stretch. We were tougher kids. I mean, I saw guys mix it up, and I was in a few places where we mixed it up in, like, gym class. And the coach would kind of let it go until, you know, okay, somebody's going to get hurt now. Let's break it up. You guys got out of your system. Okay, shake hands, move on. I know we can't do that today, right? We just get out of our system. But, I mean, it, it was a big deal. It, it wasn't something that just normally occurred. My son told me when he was going to school, there were fights every week in the school. So that's, that's a, it's a clear manifestation of greater violence. People commit violence 
when they're in pain. Do you understand this? Unless there's an inherent need for violence, it's always pain at the root of it. So what I mean by that is, if you're attacking me, I'll respond with violence to defend myself or defend other people. Right? If I'm in a war and I, and I, I've been given an objective as a soldier and I have to kill you to get the objective done and you're the enemy soldier, I will kill you. I will use violence. But, but except in those types of situations where it's a situational violence, when people just commit acts of violence because they, because they choose to, not because they have to, not because they need to, because they choose to, it's always a person that's in pain somewhere. So we have to ask ourselves, what is different today for our children than it was even 25 years ago? Because as I said, I don't think the solution to schools is going back to the way it was, but it certainly is worse now. So what are the differences? The, the, the chief difference, and if, I ha if you said, Jack, there's one thing that you can bet on about this incident, and you can't cheat and say that gun control advocates will say this needs more guns, because that's a given. But if there's one factor that occurred in the life of the person with the gun in this instance, what would you, what would you pick to bet on if you had to bet $5,000 on it, win or lose? And I would say I would bet that this child was either on when he did it or at one time was on drugs. And I don't mean the street kind. I mean psychotropic drugs designed for some sort of supposed flaw in this individual. Didn't say ADD, whatever. That this kid was on anything from, you know, Prozac to Paxil to God knows, some SRI inhibitor, something. I, I will, I would bet $5,000 that if we learn the truth, we'll find that was part of this. And there's more kids medicated with legal drugs than any time in history. Now, you have to be careful with causation and correlation. Just because that's true and just because there's more violence doesn't mean it is the cause. It can be the cause. It can be a cause, or it can be an aggravating circumstance, or it can have no effect and just appear that way. I think the, the safe bet is it's at least an aggravating circumstance. That when you put people on medications that alter their mental state, they perform differently than if you did not do that. I don't think that's a giant leap forward at all. I think it's a pretty safe bet that if I give you a drug that changes your psychology, I will change the way you behave and react to stress. It might be positive, and then, you know, every once in a while it might be negative. So we have that. We also have more children killing themselves, where the only act of violence is to themselves. They're not going out and trying to hurt a bunch of people and then killing themselves. And there's far more of those. There's far more of those today than any time in history. The suicide rate amongst teenagers today is the highest that it's ever been. This is all that you don't kill yourself outside of certain situations unless you're in pain. A person may choose death over disgrace in certain situations, but otherwise, If you can live and you're going to be relatively okay, you're not going to prison for the rest of your life or something like that. And that would be pain as well, internal emotional pain. The person that commits suicide is in pain. Okay? So when we commit violence against others, the root is always pain. With the, you know, the people that are just predisposed to violence, I do believe there are people like that. They're just violent people. 
They're just damaged goods. I think it's a very small percentage. And those people have always been with us. The numbers today don't account for that small piece of society. It's much larger now. So what we, we actually have here is that the commonality that exists in all of these acts of violence in our schools is one simple thing that no one in the media and no one on either side of the gun debate actually wants to talk about because even the drugs largely exist because these children are in pain. The question is, why are so many of our children hurting? Why are they in pain emotionally? In pain. What have we changed that has so many of them in pain? Such pain that they commit acts of violence against each other, which perpetuates more pain, which leads to acts of rebellion and revenge and self-inflicted pain. What is it? I believe the drugs are gas on the fire, but they are not the fire. We are the fire. And it's many of the things that I've been talking about for years. One is we have told every child that they're special and perfect and wonderful, and we have taken away the ability for children to fail. And therefore, eventually they get to an age where they feel positively, absolutely worthless. When you've been told you're great your whole life and you figure out, hey, I'm not anywhere near as great as they say, you can't even see the things that do make you great anymore. You can't even see the things that do make you special because they merge into a pile of nothingness for you. And children are killing themselves because they feel worthless. I know this all too personally because a good friend of mine's son killed himself and the message he left behind was I never thought I would accomplish anything or be anything. I felt worthless. And this was a smart, good-looking, strapping young man that had his whole life ahead of him and he felt worthless. There was no real failure in this boy's life. But there was a whole lot of society telling him He was better than he was and not letting him see the difference between success and failure. I believe that is a big part of it. I believe the message that our future is doomed, that is being shoved down the throats of our children in the school system by the global warming alarmist contributes to this. You doubt me? Take a trip to YouTube, folks, and look at these young people commenting and look at how many comments they leave like, we'll all be dead by then so it doesn't matter. I know that the people that think they're on the right side of this debate, and let's just let the debate go, think they're helping, but they're not. There's so many people that think they're helping, but they're not. The message children are hearing is the planet is doomed and we're all going to die. And that is what happens when you spread a message of fear combined with alarmism. I think they're also looking at their older siblings who are coming out of college who are deeply in debt and have no prospects of a future. So now you have a student who thinks the world's going to end anyway. We're all going to die. We're all going to drown. The oceans are going to rise and swallow the planet. They really believe this because they've been taught this by our schools. They have been taught this by our schools. And people, you te people that are teachers, you're teaching kids this even when you don't think you are. It's the message they're receiving, and again, 
All you need to do is take a trip to YouTube and start looking up some climate change videos where there's debates going on and look up the profiles of the people that say things like we're all going to be dead anyway. They're all 14 to 26. They believe they're going to die. They've been told they're super their whole life and now they know they're not. And they see bleak, even if we're not all dead, it's, prefer it's preferable almost for them to believe, hell, screw it, we're, you know, we're gonna be dead anyway and it doesn't matter, than to actually look at the real future of everybody's telling me to be smart, get good grades, go to school, put my ass in debt like my big sister or my big brother, and they can't find a freaking job and they have no future. Why are our children in pain? These are reasons, but they are not the only reason. I can't even put my finger or my heart on all the reasons that our children are in pain. These are just some of them. Our schools are run such that children have the opportunity to maliciously and viciously bully each other. To assign and sort out a pecking order, and it's done, and there will always be the bottom 10%, and the bottom 10% are viciously tormented by bullying. Viciously tormented by bullying. Do you hear me? Do you hear me, America? Do you get it? It is not just teasing. It is not just fun. It is not just what all kids do. And the next time you say that, what you really deserve is for a magical aberration of a being to appear in front of you like a rainbow farting unicorn, except this is a great big dude that looks like Hulk Hogan, and smack your face for saying such a stupid, nonsensical pile of crap. It is not just what all kids do. It is not just fitting in, and it is not okay. It is not okay that we have students who are so attacked that they hang themselves with a belt in their closet. It is not okay that we have children that are so viciously humiliated for so many years that they take a handful of pills and try to kill themselves. It is not okay that the same students sometimes say, the hell with this, if I'm going, the people doing it are going with me, and they get a gun or a knife or a hammer or a car, and they try to take somebody with them. It is not okay. It is not about guns. It is not about knives. It is about pain. And it is about the fact that we have created an institution that is manufacturing pain. You cannot have a school with 1,600 students in it and effectively make sure that this kind of shit is not happening. Because you can't do it with 400. We have created a culture of nonsense, of bullshit, of you are not good enough unless you're wearing the right clothing or the right shoes or invited to the right party. We have, we, I guess I know it's always been that way somewhat. No, it hasn't been the way that it is now. Somebody made a brilliant comment yesterday about the whole social skills debate. If you help skill your children, what will they, how will they learn to interact? And he's like, well, you know, it's terrible because my daughter won't want to be having, you know, unprotected sex at 12 years of age. And she won't think she's ugly because she doesn't have the newest clothes or whatever. That's terrible. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be, it'd be, she won't want to try drugs by 13. I mean, this is awful. This is the culture we've built. 
It is as much the problem with the modern education system as everything else that I've ever talked about. And those of you who have moved to nice-educated communities and you have wonderful schools and they're the perfect schools and everything is perfect and this kind of thing does not happen there, you are a delusional individual. This shit is going on in every school in America today. There are drugs in every school in America today, specifically once you get up to about fifth grade and over. Every school. There are vicious bullying attacks going on in every school today. And what are we doing about it? We're telling children to deal with it. And it's just part of the problem. And we're debating gun control as though guns are the issue. If I want somebody dead, there's more ways to get them dead than with a gun. And certainly if I want myself dead, there's more ways to get myself dead than with a gun. Why are they in pain? Is the question... No one in the media wants to ask. Because the answer is, as a whole, in America, we've done it to them. And we can't fix it with a law. It cannot be fixed with a law or a series of laws. Congress cannot fix it. It cannot be done. An after-school special on NBC is not going to fix it. Sitcoms, talking about it, is not going to fix it. Celebrity beanheads, tweeting, don't bully, is not going to fix it. We are going to have to fix it, as parents and members of our community, by disassembling the apparatus that causes it. The answer to this problem is if your child is bullied, remove them from where the bully is. Period. You don't give you don't you don't give the school another chance. If your kid comes home and is being maliciously bullied by somebody, you remove them from the situation. If me, a two hundred pound man, was poking your kid in the face, you'd remove you'd come after me and you should, but you would get your kid the hell away from me. I'm the student bullying your child in school. Do you get that? It's the same thing. It's an attack. It's violence on your child. You remove your child from the violence. And if the school doesn't like it, you tell the school, when you freaking fix it, when you can guarantee the the safety of my my child, then we can talk. Until then, you can very well shove it up your ass. And I don't care that you don't get your tax money for my kid, because my kid's not a freaking dollar sign. Why are they in pain is the question that will not be discussed because the answer actually requires thought. Because the act, the act, the, the solution actually requires action. Because the solution actually requires you, America, to do something. Not for someone else to do it. And since you must do it, it does them no good to have that discussion with you. It doesn't divide us. It requires us to work together as communities at the individual level. You want to fix the current school system? You still think we can fix that? That's all fine. Then there should be a couple hundred parents rotating through that school, 40 or 50 at any given time, walking the hallways of that school. And if the school doesn't like it, remind them that those parents are the ones that fund their salaries, that fund the school. 
and to shut up and let parents look after their children the way that they should. See, you only hear debate in America when it's polarizing debate that makes you pick the D or the R, Coke or Pepsi, MasterCard or Visa. As long as it contributes to the dichotomy, it contributes to the control. And what I'm telling you does not divide. It actually, unfortunately, does. It divides the apathetic from those who are willing to act. It divides the thinker from the non-thinker. Because the thinker goes, this makes sense. We need to do something about this. The non-thinker goes, eh, we'll just get rid of guns. Or, oh, we'll just give the guns to the teachers. I actually understand the concept of taking teachers who are trained, that know how to use firearms, that are allowed to carry everywhere but school, and let them carry in school. Because I think it's just as important to protect my child as I do it's to, to, to protect jewelry at the freaking mall. And armed people defend jewelry at the mall, but not our children. Armed people prevent people from driving too fast, but not others from killing our children. So I get that. But it's not the solution, morons that think it is. It's not. It's a freaking band-aid on a festering gangrenous wound. The wound is pain. It's children that can not deal with it anymore. They don't know how to deal with it anymore. So they either hurt somebody else or they hurt themselves. Or they drown their misery in drugs and alcohol because they believe there is no future, there is no point, and they don't think anybody gives a shit. And in some ways, they're right. Because the people that should give a shit don't give a shit enough to fix the damn problem. And the message to those kids need to be, stand up anyway. Do what's right anyway. And you take this and you fix this because your parents are too freaking lazy to do it. It might be the children that have to fix this problem. Because we might be, as a people, too apathetic and too weak and too drawn into our own pile of bullshit. I pick on the teacup generation. But I'm not picking on the teacups. I'm picking on the parents of the teacups that have created this mess for ourselves. I think the greatest hope I have is that this group of children, this group of young people, these, these kids that are little babies right now and up into their mid-twenties right now will eventually look back and see how pathetic, how pathetic the prior generation was at looking after them and protecting them and saying no more. That they will be like the child of the drug addict that never uses drugs, the child of the alcoholic who never uses alcohol. That they will realize, I cannot sit on this. Those that make it through the gauntlet will come out the other side and say, the hell with this, we are changing this for ourselves. I think, honestly, it is our only hope. I think you people that listen to me that are in your 20s are the only hope this nation has anymore. I think there's people in the old guard like me that want to help and we want to do things, but we're small in number. The majority of people my age and older don't really give a shit. When you feel that way, you're right. They don't really care. They want their guy in control. They want to win, and they think they're helping, but they're not. Their solution to the kid that doesn't sit still is drugs. Don't do drugs. Take these drugs. 
how can we have any credibility with our children when we talk out of both sides of our face directly to them? How can they trust us when we lie to them? How can they believe we have their best interest at heart when as a nation we put our self-interest first? This has nothing to do with guns and everything to do with a culture of me and mine and now. And if you're a problem, take this so you won't be a problem anymore. That's what this has to do with. And our nation has become a nation of cowardly people that cannot look themselves in the mirror for what they have become, and they will not stand and they will not do. And those of you that are angry right now because you're saying, I will and I do and I am, I am not talking about you. And you should know that by now. But tell me you don't feel like the lone voice in the wilderness sometimes. Tell me you don't feel like the only person it even gets sometimes. Tell me that part of why you're part of the TSP community is because you finally found people that freaking get it. And yes, there's over a hundred thousand of us now. And that's wonderful. But a hundred thousand of over three hundred million is not even a mouse fart. But there are millions of young people out there. There are millions of children who have been through this, who know what's really gone, who understand this, and who need to stand up and say no more. I heard from one young person yesterday, this is what they told me, that they're in school in New York, and they don't have to take this stupid common core evaluation test. They can opt out of it. And one of their teachers told them about it, and that teacher was reprimanded and said, you cannot tell these children that they have the right to not take this test, even though he was telling them the truth. Because over 30% of the students didn't take the test. Tell every student in America that they don't have to take these damn tests and that there are opt-out forms. And to protest by opting out every single one of them. You get it? There are things the children can do. Let them unite if we do not have the spine to unite. Because when you know what happens? One good thing about the high school grapevine. If you tell one, they do tell two, and they do tell four, and they do tell eight, and they do tell 16, and the whole school knows in about 15 minutes. So tell them, here's one thing you guys can do. Don't take this test. Refuse. They can't flunk you for it. You didn't know that, did you? Okay, here's how you get the form. Here's how you fill it out. Here's how you submit it. Don't take the stupid Common Core test. And if you think it's a good thing, if you like it, go ahead and do it. But if you think it's if you think it's ridiculous, if you don't want to be experimented on, if you don't want to be somebody's chess piece in a game of politics, don't take it. The greatest way to prevent the application of violence is to give the person who is getting to the point where they're ready to become violent any other alternative to fight for what's right, to fight for what they need, and to feel better about themselves and about their future. That is the solution. Our children need to be empowered to rebel. Honestly, peacefully, and practically. Whether it's through removing them from the system so they're no longer part of it, or if they're going to be there, let your child know, hey, you know what? You know what I found out? You know these things they say you have to take? Yeah, we don't have to take those. But you're not going to. Let's print out a whole bunch of forms. Go give them to all your friends. Yeah. How about that? Teachers that don't like that, why? You don't want them to know their rights. You don't want them to know that they can't just be manipulated. They can't just be controlled and contrived. You don't want them to know the truth. The hell with that. 
Why should they know the truth? We need them to take this test so we can get our grant or our funding or whatever other crap you think you're going to get. It's all a lie. It's all a deception. It's all a deception. And it's a deception that remains in place and will remain in place until America has the courage to ask one simple question. Why are our children in pain? But see the guns. No, 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 no. Look, the guns are one way. There's more children that have hung themselves with belts than have shot other children last year, I promise you. So maybe we should ban belts. Why? Why are they in pain? But this is the Democrats. No, 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 not Democrats. But the Republicans. No, 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 no. Why are they in pain? What makes them so in pain? What makes them turn to violence? Why do they see this as their only alternative? Why is the bully bullying And what can we do to protect the person that's going... If you push people far enough, folks, if you have a society where the bottom 10%, which is what a school is, a school is a society where the bottom 10% are mercilessly picked on. Some members of that group that appear weak and therefore are picked on will turn out to not be so weak. And sooner or later, they will rebel. And sometimes when they do, they will take a lot of pain with them when they go. And they'll leave a lot of pain behind. And what we need to understand is in these situations, these people that do these horrible acts, that shoot other students and then themselves, they're as much the victim as the person they shot. Well, that can't be the case. It's No, that's not very libertarian. It is. It is. It is. It's the case. You take a kid, you put him in a situation where other kids are completely and totally malicious to him. He sits through pain year after year after year, constantly being told, it'll get better, you'll come into your own, you'll find friends. And he doesn't, because you were lying, and you knew you were lying. You put him on drugs, and he goes on and off the drugs, because they don't make him feel right. And every time he runs into a problem, he's told to deal with it, it's part of growing up fit in. You don't think he's a victim? In almost every case that these students harm other students, Guns and knives. They're just as dead as their victims. They're just as gone. And their parents weep for their loss as much as the parents of those who were the victims of that individual. These are so much more complex questions than, should we get a new gun law? Because nobody can do it for us. We have to do it for ourselves. Why are they in pain? And you will not hear that question examined by mainstream media in regard to this or any similar story anytime soon. Unless you, America, start asking that question everywhere you can, every time you can, every time anything comes up remotely like this. Just one little girl who's been picked on. Why are our children in pain? Why are they in pain? I'll try to do the rest of the show on happier topics. You know, sadly, um, there's a lot of information that I had for this show that had come in recently about my comments of school and things like that that I, I can't use for the show now because we've we've spent so much time on this issue. And I hope you'll share my thoughts with your family and friends, even those that are not into preparedness, because I think that's a universal message. But I want to go into something totally different now so that we can have a, a good day. 
because we still have to we still have to accomplish things and we still have to stay motivated. Um, I've got an article that was sent to me. I really can't read it to you. It's too long. It's really a PDF. It's six pages long, and it's uh, from um, RangeMagazine.com, and it's entitled "Protecting the West from Its Protectors," and the subtitle is "Environmentalists Like Me Got It Wrong." And I'll read one of the little highlights from it. Livestock grazing was blamed for endangered species, destroying vegetation, damaging wildlife habitats, disrupting natural processes, and wreaking ecological havoc on riparian areas, rivers, deserts, and grasslands and forests alike. And the conclusion is, that's completely wrong. And it matches up very well with the work of people like Alan Savory. And in this article, there's, con there's tons of pictures of land that's been left alone to heal, that hasn't been grazed for some some one picture I'm looking at right now, is an exact picture of the same little rectangle of earth, a couple feet by a couple feet. Side by side, the two pictures are almost indistinguishable, and it hasn't been grazed for over 30 years. It's been left to repair itself, and it's not repairing itself. Why is this important, and how is this a survival topic? Um... You know, I don't believe in man-made global warming because I think it's a bunch of bullshit. It really is. And there's more and more stuff like what I put out on Facebook today that just tells us that. Like, oh, the ice is melting in Antarctica because there's a volcano underneath it. Anyway, um, but I do think our planet is in trouble. And I do think we have a problem with climate change. Okay, And I think the problem with climate change is the climate changes and we're destroying the Earth's ability to adapt to it so that we can survive. Because when we turn a place into a desert or a scrub desert that used to be fertile, and then we can still sort of get by there, but then we have a five-year drought period, it, it's toast and it becomes damaged more and it supports us less. And we have this going on everywhere. And the solution is grazing. The solution is a cow. It's that simple. And it's it's rotational grazing and it's 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 leader follower systems. Tell you about the leader follower system that I learned about. I've always understood leader follower systems like I'm doing right now. I have ducks out right now on pasture and I have chickens behind them. The ducks come in and they, they, they graze the grass and they put duck patties down, like little cow patties. And they walk around their web feet. Geese do the same thing. They mash it in. They eat some of the bugs. Well, the ducks go on. And then. A few days later, as the flies have come in and begun to feed on the duck poop and there's some maggot activity going on and more bugs have moved in to feed on it, beetles have come in, dung beetles and stuff like that, move the chickens in and the chickens start eating all that new protein, all those new bugs, and they scratch and they dig and they eat the weeds that the ducks won't eat and they eat the seeds that the ducks can't find and they scratch the manure into the soil and then the ducks go, the, geese, the, the chickens move forward and then I come in with, with grass and clovers and chicories and plantain and I put just little handfuls of seed down where they were and then the pasture gets better and better and better. Do you know you can do leader follower with one animal? Cattle. Here's how it works. We take our calves that are still feeding with their mothers and they're the youngest. They're our, our beef that's coming up this year that need the highest nutrition. And we put them through the system and they eat the tops of the grass. This is nice tall grass, you know. They eat in the, the most nutritious part of the grass. They'll eat that first little bit off the top. And they'll eat it from one end of the paddock to the other and back. And if we move them before they go any further, they won't go any further down. They won't go to the less nutritious grass unless we force them to. So we move on those. And then we bring in our lactating milk cows. Right? 
and our milk cows come in and they need more nourishment because they are producing milk. So they take the next bite of the grass. And after they move out of that paddock, then into that paddock we bring our dry cows and our bulls. And they can do just fine on the slightly less nutritious grass a little bit further down, and we move them out. And now we've taken the grass from really, really high down like we've mowed it, but left it still pretty much stubble. Then we can bring in other animals, like pigs or chickens or goats or what have you. Then we can do that, and we can make the land better and better and better. But we could actually do leader-follower just with cattle, just by separating our cattle. Our young beef and the, cat, the, the, the calves that are still with those, with those mothers – Uh, dairy cattle behind them that are that we're actually milking, and then behind them we bring in our dry cows, and, and that's that's simple. And and the land gets better and better and better. And you have to ask yourself, like many things, if it's that simple, why don't we do it? I think lack of knowledge has been part of it, but I think it's well, there's no there's no real incentive to do that because it's hard for conglomerates to do that. That's something that small herders do. That's something that creates tons. That's something that brings ranching and farming back to America. And it takes away the need to grow so much grain, which is a huge business paid for with taxpayer money. So anyway, I'd like to, I'd like to share this with you today. I'd like you to take a look at this article. I'd like you to read it. Um, if you're one of those people that believe that cattle are what's destroyed the land or that we can't take bad land and put cattle on it, um, I think you need to read this article. Because it's not just that this land is damaged because it wasn't grazed or it was damaged by improper grazing and now it won't fix itself. It's that if we actually, as bad as land is, we can fix it. We can start to graze land that looks like it won't support cattle and we can do it smart and over time we can transform it and there's pictures of that. There's pictures of what looks like a desert and just a few years later it looks like a prairie and that's what it used to be. So, The good news is we know how to do this. We know how to fix this. Pioneers like Alan Savory have shown us how. People like Greg Judy have taken the work and moved forward. And if you're thinking about farming or ranching, this is the way. Corn is not the way. Soy is not the way. This is the way. This is a profitable thing that does good for the land. Just thought I'd share that one with you today because, well, we had some pretty somber things to talk about in the beginning today. Next up, a story of an encounter with the police. Um, recently, I played a, an encounter with the police um, that wasn't quite, well, handled properly by the person that was in conflict with the officer. And she got her ass drug out of her car, and a lot of people think the officer was wrong, but... She was wrong. She was told to exit her vehicle. She didn't. She tried to shut the window on the cop's arm. I found it interesting that a lot of people that defended the woman said they hadn't watched the video. They'd only listened to the audio and my commentary on it. And my response was, you, you, you can't possibly really understand what happened if you don't watch the video. So I'd say in this one, you may want to watch the video too, but this is a little bit more clear cut. But it's worth watching. And it's worth watching because this cop is wrong. This cop is actually breaking the law and lying to this person. Um, the video begins where the cop is actually uh, finishing up with a guy that was walking his dogs, some pit bulls, and uh, he wasn't bothering anybody, he wasn't doing anything, and I don't know if he was really finishing up. He might have been going to harass this guy further. He said he got, the cop said he had phone calls and complaints because the man was walking large dogs. 
Now, this sounds like Nazi Germany to me. Um, the cops are white. The guy with the pit bulls is black. The guy that you're going to hear come in is also white. Um, I, I do believe that profiling happens. I think if you don't, you're just not being honest about the world we live in. And I do, it does feel like, I can't say for sure, but it does feel like profiling was going on here. But listen to the conversation. I'll try to cut some of the stuff out of it so I don't spend too much time with it, uh, where it's just a guy walking around and stuff like that. But watch the video because it's like he's calling his mommy at one point. He's refusing to tell me. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like he gets a lot of help. Um, but listen to this. This is, this is the proper way when your rights are being abused by an officer. When you're in the right to defend your rights from... Illegal actions by this officer, and this cop should be fired. Um, the department that's responsible for this police officer, okay, you know what happened, and everybody that could do something about this guy right here that hasn't, you're an oath-breaking piece of crap, okay? So if it ever gets back to this department, and I'd love someone to send it directly to the chief that runs this guy, you, sir, are an oath breaking piece of crap because you have a filthy piece of lying garbage like this on your streets abusing your citizens. But this is one citizen figuratively giving him the middle finger, and it's beautiful to see there isn't a damn thing he can do about it. I thought for some of you that thought I was too tough on the girl, this would make your day. It, it made mine a couple days ago when I saw it. It adds up. If you were me... What would you think? Well, I'm not here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. You're on the other side. Now, I understand that's it. Hey, How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? All right. Okay. See y'all later. Good night. Just out walking the dog, huh? Yeah. I never really introduced myself. Hey, Cisco. Michael. Cisco. What's up, man? What's his name? That's a pod. Like Tupac. Tupac? Yeah. What's your name, sir? Uh, I don't consent to answer any questions. We, well, I'm a police officer, and when I ask you your name, you have to tell me who you are. Am I being detained? I'm asking you what your name is. Am I being detained? I'm asking you, and I'm not going to ask you again, what is your name? Am I being detained? Sir, I'm going to ask you one more time. Am I being detained? 714 Calumberg. What? what? You have a unit in this area. Um, is there something wrong? Am I being detained for some reason? Sir, you do not have the right to refuse to tell me who you are. And I'm going to tell you and I'm going to warn you. If you don't tell me who you are, I will take you into custody until I find out who you are. Am I being detained or am I being arrested? I'm telling you that. Okay. I don't consent to answer any questions. I respectfully that's, decline to answer any that's, questions. That's fine. 120. You're 20. I I, uh, I do not mean any disrespect. I just I know my rights and I know I don't have to answer any questions unless I'm being detained or being suspected of a crime. Am, am I suspected of a crime? Stand by. I'll signal six. Thank you.
Hmm? Have a good night. It's like the government is out of control. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. can see right here. Yeah. You know, and I'm not. I'm like I've always lived with kind of like a the affluent part of society. So I, I didn't know of the the things that happen to the lower yeah. the people on the lower economic scale yeah. of things. <laughs> so. Uh, I mean, this is unfortunately this is how it is in America now. If you don't yeah. obey completely, and I mean, I see it on TV. People be recording. Yep. It's not, it's not against the law. And like nope. You said you didn't do nothing while you were young. Right. So, so bad for me. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't married. You know, saying I don't know what happened. Like you said, what do you think? I said, well, I'm not you. I can't help what you think. Right. On the other side. It's not that I'm on the other side. I'm not you. I right. wasn't there. I don't know what the fuck happened. I mean. Yep. So, but you, you have to go. You have an internet. Yeah. You should check out uh, the two websites. You check out is uh, free talk, uh, free state project and free talk live. Free talk live. Yeah. I'm gonna probably be calling that radio. Uh, it's a radio internet and radio show. So it's the two hosts. They moved there from Florida. It's part of the free state project. And, you know, I think stuff like this needs to get out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he thought back at the movie, but he looked terrified of the minute. You think so? Yeah. Did he look terrified? I mean, he just, like, his eyes got real red and watery. Yeah. And, uh, and you didn't do nothing, so. I mean, I'm, I have, I'm afraid. I mean, I have reason to be afraid. They'll throw me in a cage. Oh, yeah, for no he reason. He just said he was going to throw me in a cage, yeah, right? Yeah, for no reason. Yeah. I mean, I was standing right here. You didn't do nothing. Yep. Kept asking me for your name. For what? Yep. But I mean, it's, that was that down. was just the show. I mean, my car is right here, so he's able yeah. to get it regardless. Yeah, and that's how it goes down yeah. around here. This it really goes. That's how it goes down yeah. around here. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he stopped me before from walking my dog. Yeah. I mean, I showed proof of insurance. You know what I'm saying? For walking your license, dog? Yeah. Your insurance to walk your dog? I mean, not insurance, yeah. but license. He was tagged. You know what I'm saying? Rabies shots. I showed him all that paperwork. Oh yeah. Oh, you have to have all that kind of stuff yeah. doing a dog. Yeah. A pit bull. A pit bull? Yeah. Yeah. And he said he got a complaint from somebody yep. that I was walking two big dogs. So me, I was. And they're all right. <laughs> a complaint for walking the dog? Yeah, because it was a big dog. Apparently. Yeah. There's, there's another website. It's called... Uh, it's another... Oh, well, you can't record it. If this is bothering you, I'm sorry. If it was very little light... I don't want to shine it in your eyes. I'll shine it over to the the quadrant of the car. I mean, my my little light's just a little teeny tiny little light. Yeah. I it's can't cell phone light. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, this is Keith. Okay. Morning or night? How you doing, man? This is Officer Keith Perry, the Sheriff Department. Um, you you really have to watch this video to get the full good, warm, fuzzy feeling for how frustrated this terrible officer was. Okay, the guy is in his face, head cocked to the side, just really up in his face, going. I am a police officer, and you are not allowed to not tell me who you are. 
which is a 100% bald face, absolute lie. You're a liar, sir. A liar, a liar, a liar, a liar. And you should be fired as the liar that you are. What it comes down to is this cop was an idiot in many ways. If you watch the video, you get a full sense of what an idiot this guy is. He's taking pictures of shit that, that are like nothing. Like the guy who he's talking is like taking pictures of his tire. He's like squatting. He's like walking. The whole time this is going on, you hear all this other stuff going on. I took out... Probably a good minute and a half of like kind of just background noise and a little bit of gibber between the two guys that I didn't think was that important for it. You can watch. But if you're watching it, it is because he's like, he's trying to look like he matters because he knows full well there's nothing he can do. And he's like calling it in over and over again like anybody gives a shit. And what I, I, I played the whole thing through so you could hear the dialogue between the, the initial person who was suspected of like, You know, I guess he was suspected of, uh, you know, walking dogs while black. W, WDWB, right? Walking dogs while black. Apparently is a suspicious activity. So he was harassed, basically, because he was stopped for no re reason at all. You know, well, you could see how it is. You're on the other end of it. But if you were on my side, what would you think? Look, you got a guy walking his dogs on leashes. You need to leave him alone. He's not bothering anybody. I mean, what makes him suspicious? He has two dogs. He's walking them down the road on leashes. But he was black when he was doing it, and they were pit bulls. So it was racism against the guy and the dogs. Right? But let's let that go. Let's let that go. The other guy walks up. How are you doing, sir? He says good night. The guy gets in his car like he's going to leave. And then he comes back over, takes pictures like an idiot, and says, what was, and the one guy's talking to the other guy, and he says, what did you say your name was? And he says, I'm not telling you. And I love how incompetent this cop is. I'm going to ask you one more time, and I'm not going to ask you again. What is your name? Uh, am I being detained? Okay, one more time. Uh, am I being suspected of a crime or detained? I'm, I'm not going to do this again. This is your last chance. What is? You, this is like a bad parent, right? A parent that keeps telling, "I am. If you keep doing this, Johnny, I'm going to take your toy away." One more warning, Johnny. Okay, I'm not going to warn you again. This is the last time. Okay, but see, the parent at any time can say, "Enough. Take Johnny's toy away." If this cop detains this man, it's a clear case of wrongful imprisonment. He has no reason to suspect the man. The man walked up voluntarily under his own will. He's filming the, the thing that's going on. He's having a conversation with this guy that he just met. He's talking to him. He's not bothering anybody. Hasn't been doing anything. And the, the gentleman's very, very intelligent. And there's, there's something that goes unsaid and un, really unseen unless you know what to look for here. The guy that's confronting the officer who's being, well, an oathbreaker. His car is parked. And he never gets in his vehicle until, you know, you don't know because it ends right where he says he knows the sheriff's deputy that shows up. If he gets in his vehicle, he kind of gets into a point, well, do you have a driver's license? Right? You're operating a vehicle. I, you don't, won't tell me who you, you know, so he's waiting for this cop to leave and he's not going to back down. And he's going to stand by this guy who's clearly being harassed, and he's not going to give up his rights. And just as you know, this is the thing when you when you point out where the person that was interacting with the police was wrong, people think that means you just always side with the cops. No, I mean I, I don't understand how some of you even would think that. And it's some of the flack that I got off the last one. This is an example of the question: Am I being detained? 
The officer refuses to answer it. Am I being suspected of a crime? The officer refuses to answer it. If the officer says, yes, we had this go on in this area, and you matched the, 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 the description, so yes, you're a suspect now, then the, the inherent answer to am I being detained would be, yes, pending investigation. So you don't have, and even in that case, I don't have to tell you who I am. I don't have to identify myself. But if you, if you legitimately look like you might have been the guy they're looking for, right, then when you won't identify, well, until we figure out, we'll figure out who you are. We'll take you into custody. We'll frisk you. If you got a wallet on you, we'll pull out your ID and we'll say, okay, you're John Smith. And we'll look at that and we'll run your ID and we'll see, okay, well, it's probably not him. And we'll let you go. Or we're not sure, so you might go downtown for a while. See, when, when the answer to am I being detained is yes, as long as it's not physically dangerous for you to comply, you should be as cooperative and as compliant as possible. And if you feel like it was wrong, you should, you should then file a complaint. Okay? You have your argument with judges, not with police officers. It's that simple. Now, in this case... The cop refuses to answer the question because he can't. And that means this guy knows he's correct. Now, there's another thing you don't see happen. He doesn't walk away. Because the cop could then say, hey, I still want to talk to you. Am I being detained? Hey, I want to talk to you. And if the guy keeps walking away, he could try some bullshit about, well, he was, he, he appeared to be suspiciously fleeing the scene. Right? So he stands his ground. He's respectful. He doesn't taunt The officer. Now, right toward the end, you hear him saying, hey, my light, I didn't mean to shine your eyes or whatever. Here's what's happened. He's filming the cop car, and he's got like a phone with like one of the little phone lights on it. And because he points it at the car, he's trying to get like the number or whatever on the car. The, the cop pulls out the spotlight and shines it right in their face. And I think what he's really doing is he's, he's flooding the area with light so that the guy's phone won't work. But the guy said, you know, I didn't want to do anything, whatever. And then I love that when the sheriff pulls up, he's like, oh, that's Keith. And he knows the guy. And I really wish this video would have went on because it was probably the sheriff going, well, you don't really have any reason to bother this guy, do you? You know, and, or maybe the, since he knew Keith, maybe Keith knew who he was. And he said, oh, that's, you know, Tom Smith or whatever. The guy didn't want his name released. I don't know. I don't know why he cut it off there, but... This was textbook. And let me tell you something. If you have a police officer behaving this way with you, that this is how it should be handled. Because police need to know that we are aware of our rights. They really do. If I can help a, a, a law enforcement officer in legitimate need of assistance, if, if I see a guy come running out of a, a, a building with a gun in his hand, and he goes down the road to the right, and cops come by, did you see somebody with a gun? He went that way. Yeah, sure, I'll help you. Who are you? What are you doing here? Oh, no, nah, it doesn't work that way. This is not freaking Nazi Germany, cops. It's not. You don't get to do that shit. And most of you know better. Those of you that don't, you need new jobs. You're not qualified to be a mall security guard. And let me put one more call out to you guys that are law enforcement officers. You know I support you when you do your job right. If you see another cop doing this, and you don't grab him by the ass, pull him aside and say, listen, jackass, this is not how we do our job. This is not what we do, and cut this shit or I will hand your ass over to IA for violating the rights of citizens. If you don't do that, you are the same piece of excrement that did the action. That is your job. You should be policing yourself first. Your job is to protect the citizens, whether it's from a criminal 
or a criminal in a uniform. This officer's actions were criminal. He was in, intimidating, lying, and, and telling a per, giving false information to a person. Now, I don't know if that's technically criminal, because I think you guys are allowed to lie. I know that you're trained to lie, but it's, it doesn't have to actually violate a law to be criminal behavior, if you understand what I'm saying. You should be held to a higher standard than the person walking down the street. Police officers spend a year or more in training to know the law, and to no procedure, because being handed a gun, a taser, pepper spray, silver bracelets, and told you are allowed to legally kidnap people is a hell of a lot of responsibility. And if you do it wrong, you should be fired immediately. That officer should be terminated. And again, to the people who he works under, who have probably done nothing, you are sorry pieces of crap if you let this go. You really are. This guy should be hauled in in front of a board, and I know it may not be possible for you to fire him, but you should set him up where one more, one more mouse fart like this results in him being pulled off the street. And he should know that. And you won't do it, because you probably taught him how to behave that way in the first place. Because you're oath breakers. All officers of the law, remember that's what you are, you are an officer of the law. The law applies to you equally. Please remember that. Let's go on and take another one. So I've been talking a lot lately about automation and how it's going to replace a lot of people in the service industry and the geniuses in Seattle just raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour, which will send tons of low-skilled jobs just fleeing Seattle like crazy because people won't be able to afford it. Um, but I got this in from Eric in Texas about automation and coming into, you know, service environments, mainstream restaurants. I just wanted to comment on the restaurant automation. Today I received an email from BJ's Brewhouse featuring their new app. It lets you place your order in advance to dine in. So I can already have, I can just get on my phone and order all the food from my table before I even get there. Pay from my phone. <laughs> Excuse me, folks. Pay from my phone. View my wait time, so I'm already in line at the restaurant, and move up in line when I'm not there. So somebody wasn't there, I can move up. Yes, I'll be there. I can be there in five minutes, whatever. And, and, and basically walk in the door and sit down on my own time frame. Save my payment method and store my favorite food for faster ordering. So I need a host for what? Can I come in and just, you know, look at a screen and it says Jack S... Table 19 and a little map that highlights my table. So do I need a host? You know what? The host probably won't go away, and I'll tell you why. The host position at restaurants is how they bring new people in, get a look at them, and begin to teach them the restaurant industry and move them into service and bartending and things like that. So the host is, and the host is pretty low paid as long as you don't have a $15 an hour host. But, well, what I can do now is I don't need two or three hosts. I can have one because automation does so much. I'll have, oh, welcome to, to BJ's Brewhouse. Your table's right over there. It's all ready for you. See? So it's just a matter of getting people to use this. This is just going to keep coming. It's just going to keep coming. It's just going to keep coming. We, we, we need to figure out new things to do for people. And the government is destroying entry-level opportunities by continuously pricing it out of the, the, the spectrum. Now, here's the real thing. 
you raise the minimum wage. Let's say we raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour nationwide right now. Yay, everybody gets a raise. Well, no, a lot of people get fired. A lot of people get cut, their work hours cut. A lot of people go to part-time. But let's say the person that keeps his job, all right, a person that keeps their job, it doesn't get their hours cut, yay, they have more money for like six months. Do you not understand how this works? If you make the bottom income level $15 an hour, the economy is fluid. It's moving. It does not stay stagnant. If, 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 if everybody that has any job anywhere makes $15 an hour, and I am now running a Sam's Club location, I have to pay people $15 an hour, and across from me is a Costco, and Costco has decided that it will be better than me, and Costco has decided that it will be better than Sam's. I'm sorry, it's true. The service is better, the employees are better, they're paid better, they get better benefits, they have more opportunity in the company. They do. Costco charges me more to be a member than Sam's does because it doesn't want the person that will make a decision over $10. They want the customer that says, I want better service, I'll pay the extra $10. Bucks. I'm not even going to think about it. That's what they want. They really want the one that says, executive membership for $100? bucks. i am going to spend enough money to get that in rebates anyway. Hell yeah, give me that black card. That's who they want. Right, So, immediately, Costco also has to raise its minimum wage of $15, and the entry-level people there are not making $15 an hour. They are paid better than Walmart or Sam's, but not, not so much. So then this is what happens next. All of a sudden, people that were making like $12.50, you know, we're starting out and are making $15, and that's fine. But now Costco wants to hire more quality people like that or keep the person that's now trained from leaving who was going to be making 15 bucks this year but now can make 15 bucks anywhere. Okay? So they have to start raising their own wage. So Costco and other companies that pay well raise their wage to retain and attract that better class of employee that they've always wanted. And all the minimum wage jobs eventually equalize. And eventually a lot of the jobs that are lost, as long as they're not replaced with a robot, they do come back. And then we do have this large, giant group of people making minimum wage again, being paid $15 an hour, and $15 an hour starts buying what you used to get for 8 or $9 an hour. Whatever minimum wage is now, like seven seventy-five, whatever, right? It immediately, within six months to a year, the economy will twist, fluctuate, and conjole to meet that as the subsistence income. And you will have just as little making 15 as you have making 10 right now in six months to one year. If we did it everywhere at one time, that's exactly what's going to happen. Because that's what's always happened. Every time the minimum wage has been raised up, it's damaged the economy to the point of equilibrium. And, and, and the problem is that the people making these decisions that think this is a good idea, they really do think they're helping. They do not understand money. They do not comprehend how this works. They can't possibly see how paying somebody more equals the same. Because they don't understand their own policies. They don't get that their own policy is the devaluation of money over time. And they actually think it's their money. Because you always hear politicians go, we just got to give these people a raise. You can't give them a raise. It's not your money, jackass. It's not even the money you stole. This is a politician who really doesn't understand this. right? They think all the money is their money. 
So you think that politicians just think the money they steal from you is their money, right? They call it taxation and fees, right? So you think that the, you know, like the, these fat-ass congressmen and senators just think that that's their money. No, no. They also think that their money includes the money they borrow, which they're stealing from your children because your children have to pay it back. So they think their money includes the money they steal directly from you and the money they steal from future generations is debt. And then you think, well, they think that's their money, right? No, they think your money in your pocket is their money. They believe that their policies can control how much you spend, and that's okay too. That they can actually make you, if you're running a business, pay your employees better by writing a law that now says your employee's worth more than he was yesterday. Because let me tell you something about running a business. You do pay people what they're worth. Because if you don't, They leave. And the jobs that pay the least have the worst employees. They have the worst employees. And if you don't think that's true, go to places where people make minimum wage and where there's no path out of minimum wage and see what you find. I have to tell you, except for my very first job, I never worked for minimum wage. I worked at a time when minimum wage was $3.15 an hour, and I had a job that paid five. I mean, kind of think about that. I was a teenager. And I was able, in, a, in the coal region of Pennsylvania, where the Depression never started or ended, it was just always that way. I mean, my grandfather used to tell me, yeah, one day I told us we was in a Depression, We didn't know no different. And then one day they told us it was over, and we didn't know no different. That place, as a teenager, I was able to rise above minimum wage, putting groceries on a shelf. Okay? If I can do it, anybody that really wants to do it can do it. And if you can't make more than minimum wage right now, In your market, you're not worth more than minimum wage. I'm inherently worth money as a human being. I agree, but to an employer, you're not. If you were, they would pay you more. The market is self-correcting. The market, if you jack up minimum wage, will correct itself. And this is why you should be opposed to minimum wage. Don't get into the heated arguments with all of this crap about... Well, you know, uh, the young people won't have an opportunity anymore and all this other nonsense and back and forth and table tennis, these talking heads play with their tongues. No, no. The reason you should be opposed to minimum wage is because of the inflation it causes. It will devalue your money. When, when your government gives people a raise, somebody pays for it. Well, you mean, Jack, I pay for it because I pay higher prices. No. That's the easy part. No, see, you know the money you have in your bank account, your retirement account, all that stuff there? See, the, the biggest tax on the American people, the hidden tax, is the inflation tax. It's the most insidious tax. right? So they devalue money by creating new money, and they suck value out of the money you already earned, you already paid taxes on, that's yours free and clear. They're still sucking value out of it. All right. When you create a minimum wage hike of the type that they're talking about now, a, a, a doubling, is what they want to do nationally. That's the discussion. I mean, 
And it, you know what? What they'll do is they'll take cities like Seattle and whatever, and they'll go, well, Seattle didn't fall off a cliff. Well, Seattle's one of the biggest markets in the world. It will swallow it. And most of the minimum wage jobs in Seattle are in the service industry. So you put the person on tips. Because waiters are paid like $280 or $290 an hour or something like that. Right? So they make all their money on tips anyway. And then all the little piddly ass jobs that paid minimum wage, they either fire people or whatever, but they get to kind of have, they'll say, what's about it? And then they'll come up with some, the big compromise will be like twelve fifty an hour. But when they do that, it will devalue your money. It won't just raise the price of what you're buying. It will devalue the money that you already have because economy's correct. And whatever you said is the bottom becomes what the bottom is, no matter how big the number becomes. Otherwise, why don't we just set the minimum wage at $35 an hour? Seriously, if it works, if it doesn't mess anything up, if it works, if it would actually mean a bigger middle class and everybody would be great and it would be wonderful for the country, why don't we just set it at $30, $35 an hour? Take the person that, that, that thinks $15 an hour for minimum wage is good. And ask them, why don't we do 30? And if they're actually dumb enough to tell you, well, maybe we should say, okay, 50. What number's too high? Whatever number they say is too high. So then say, okay, why is that too high? What, what is the problem with that number? And then all the things they'll tell you is the problem with that number is the same problem with raising it at all. There shouldn't actually be a minimum wage. There shouldn't be a minimum wage. People would actually be paid higher Overall, if there was no minimum wage, I don't just mean the talented would make more. I mean, that, well, this is what would happen. When I'm paying, like, if I have a large company and I have about 100 low-level employees that all make minimum wage, make no mistake about it, the reason they all make minimum wage is because the minimum wage is whatever it is. So that's what I pay everybody. I have to pay everybody at least that. So if you haven't moved out of that tier, that's what you make. And whatever that number is, that's what I'm going to pay you. Or if I'm a benevolent dictator, I might pay you 50 cents more. But I'm going to pay you somewhere hovering around that minimum wage. And I have to. So Joe comes into that pool, I pay him minimum wage. But Joe is useless. Joe is just barely good enough to not get fired. Well, if I was paying Joe two bucks less than minimum wage, then I could pay Tom two bucks more than minimum wage, and I'm still paying the same payroll. It still costs me the same for the same pool of labor. And it would actually create tiering among the bottom pool. And if you really, really suck, go somewhere else where you don't suck. And it would create more rapid turnover of the bottom, which would incentivize them to become better. And it would create a middle and upper tier of the bottom employees in a company that made better money based on their ability. It would also let employers give people more raises more frequently because they're not burdened by a universal wage for everyone. So if you actually wanted to grow the middle class, if you actually wanted to increase the number of jobs, if you actually wanted to grow the economy, if you actually wanted to give more people opportunity, you wouldn't just not raise the minimum wage. You'd eliminate it. That's crazy talk. Really? Really? Well, everybody would be paying $2 an hour. Would you work for $2 an hour? No? Okay, there you go. So we know we're not going to have $2 an hour. Well, we'll pay people $5 an hour. Are you going to work for $5 an hour? No. 
Okay, then it doesn't affect you. Well, somebody might. Well, if somebody takes $5 an hour today, they need that opportunity. Why are you getting in the way of their opportunity? Well, they can't afford to live on that. That's for them to decide. See how simple it is? Well, they'll just, you know, they won't work at all then. And then the person paying for the job will have to pay more money to march to match the market. You see how that works? It's really, really simple. It's really, really simple. The minimum wage amounts to a labor union that everybody's part of whether they want to be or not. And your dues are paid for through inflation and taxation. Yay, America. No, we're not fascists. We're not socialist, right? Come on. If you vote for the R, it'll all go away. <laughs> Can anybody even say that with a straight face anymore? Seriously. So here you go. Automation changing the faces of America and politicians fighting it. And as they fight it, they accelerate it. Isn't that just wonderful? But why would you expect anything else? You know what? On that note, I think we're done for the day. Um, this is kind of an off-kilter episode because of what happened uh, today and, and, and the passion that it made me speak with at the beginning. Hope you uh, you got something out of that. Hope you understand how important it is that we protect our children. I hope you understand that, that we ourselves as a whole, as a people, are actually the cause of this problem and only we can fix it. The government can't, the schools can't, the teachers can't, the administrators can't, and they don't want to. They want control, and you don't you don't fix things when you want control. You you, you manage them. Our children are not to be managed like cattle. Cattle are to be managed like uh, like cattle. Children are to be are to be cultivated into independence. That's what we should be doing, rather than building them into a, a, a lifetime dependency like we've been doing. And on that note, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Revolution. 